in today's episode, we're talking about vision, values, and leadership. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. Quick plug before we get to our guest introduction today. If you're focused on guest experience or employee experience, definitely go check out our email newsletter. As we work with pro teams and college athletic departments around the country, we're taking the lessons that we learn from our experiments and our projects, and we're putting those insights into the newsletter. A couple of times per week, you'll get everything from the articles and content that are inspiring us to innovate, as well as new tools that we're using and loving. If you get value from this show, you're going to love the newsletter. To sign up, head to engagementpartners.com backslash newsletter. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with senior leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have helped drive success in their careers? And then we take all those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, we are starting a new series, if you will, where we highlight senior leaders in college athletics uh, to, again, do all those things. What are the trends they're paying attention to, experiments that they're running, lessons learned from their career? Only we're going to be highlighting leaders in college athletics. Why are we doing that, David? Uh, Well, what we're doing is we spend a lot of time at engagement working side by side with these athletic departments. And so we see a lot of different trends uh, and experiments being run. So we said, hey, why not highlight some of those things specifically by bringing some of those senior leaders on the show? Um, Now, at Engagement, we spend a lot of time with athletic departments, as I mentioned, functioning as almost advisors, if you will, and sometimes extra pair of hands. Um, The buckets that we focus on at Engagement are really around culture and innovation, uh, all dedicated to helping athletic departments serve their tribes better. Um, So give me an example, David, of some of those different projects. Um, It it could be anything from helping an athletic department redo their employee onboarding. could be helping them create new professional development opportunities for their employees. could be focusing on how performance is evaluated uh, and how to tie metrics to specific behaviors and how to design those behaviors internally. So on the culture side of things, you're, you're getting all of that. could be even customer service training uh, and equipping your employees with the ability to better serve your tribe, serve your fans better. On the innovation side of things, we're working on everything from uh, running workshops based on problem-solving approaches that we've learned from our time at Disney, based on how Google and Netflix solve problems. Uh, It could be that we are looking at an opportunity or a problem that an athletic department is facing and saying, how might we solve that with a specific technology? And we're going in and helping athletic departments find the right technologies to really help solve their problem, saving them on with time and money because we, we're having all these conversations with these different sports vendors. Um, so there's a host of different ways that we're helping these athletic departments from an advisory perspective, but ultimately all of it is so that we can help athletic departments better serve their tribes, deepen emotional connections with their tribes, their fans, their employees. Um, so with that being said, uh, we wanted to have Dwayne Peavy on the show uh, and to kick us off with this new series where we highlight athletic department leaders. Uh, Now, a little bit of background on Dwayne. Dwayne is the vice president and director of athletics at DePaul University, uh, and he came there at the end of last year. Uh, Prior to his time at DePaul, Dwayne was the deputy athletics director at University of Kentucky. And what that basically means is that while Mitch was focused on the overarching strategy, uh, Mitch spends a lot of time uh, helping to push the whole industry forward on different boards and things that he sits on. Um, And so what Dwayne found himself doing as the deputy athletics director was really focusing on running a lot of the day-to-day in the department for everything other than football. So the transition from Kentucky, where basketball really, really holds deep emotional connections in the heart of those Kentucky fans, moving over to DePaul, where they don't have football and basketball is the biggest sport, uh, made a lot of sense career-wise for Dwayne to make that move. Now, uh, Dwayne has spent time at the SEC office before uh, his time at Kentucky, and and we'll get into that a little bit here in the episode. Um, But 
really what we wanted to focus on with Dwayne was that they just came out, DePaul, uh, just came out with their new strategic plan for the entire athletics department. And a lot of great people played uh, a role in creating the strategic plan from Alicia Pope to Karen Euler to Taylor Stapleton, uh, all coming together coming together to create this strategic plan, this new vision for where DePaul athletics uh, should go in the future. Uh, So in this episode, we're going to unpack some of that strategic plan. We're going to talk about vision and values and how Dwayne brings those to life uh, in the athletic department. Uh, And we're also going to talk in the second half of the episode. So first half is really focused on that vision, value, strategic plan. Second half of the episode, we really get into more leadership lessons that Dwayne has learned over time. So things like how to keep things when to keep things close to the vest versus when to be transparent with your team. Uh, We get into some of those bigger leadership questions. So um, I've been talking a ton. This is maybe one of my longer intros that I've done. So why don't we just jump into this episode with Dwayne? We actually got to record this in person though. So there's a great video episode of this on YouTube. We'll link to it in the show notes. Go check that out if you'd rather do that than just actually listen to us talk. You can go see us talk in person. Uh, the first one that we've done in person since COVID came out. Uh, and we're excited about this episode because it's the first of a series. We did it in person. It's on YouTube. Go check it out. Uh, but yeah, without further ado, I'm starting to ramble now. So let's get into this episode with Dwayne PV. All right, let's fire this up. Dwayne, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. So you officially became the AD at DePaul in September 2020. What has the last nine months been like? And how the hell are we already nine months in? Oh, man. it's uh, When you think about that first job, you don't think about no one being in the office when you come in except for you. Uh, a simulated press conference on Zoom against the wall. You don't get to meet any of the local media members or some of your mentors not being to be there. But once you get past all that, it's the same, right? It gave me a lot of time to just really just dive into the job. You know, when every new job, when you go to a new city, maybe your family hasn't got there yet. So I had a long period of time to really dial into what we needed here at DePaul, really get focused from day one. And it's been a whirlwind. I mean, we've actually, it's actually passed 10 months. That's how fast it's gone by. That's crazy. And what, when you initially came in, and you and I had talked a few times before taking the role about DePaul, and what, what was your vision coming in? What did you expect versus when you got here, what did you see? And how did that vision for what you thought DePaul could be, how did it change once you got here and you actually got into the trenches? Well, I mean... When we had that first conversation, obviously, I knew Big East, Fox, Chicago. Uh, I knew the DePaul name as a brand, especially from a basketball history. I mean, I watched DePaul play on WGN when I was young, too. It was maybe one of the first college basketball games I remember seeing. And I knew those things. But as I dialed into it, you know, visiting campus, even in pandemic times, I'm not even sure I was supposed to be here at the time, but to come walk around, walk around Lincoln Park, that was something I didn't know much about um, to really, you know, as Vincentians, we maybe don't brag enough about the things that we do on campus. And so I didn't know about the Driehaus College of Business. You know, I didn't know about our history in the, you know, music school and theater school and technology and, and how great a school and education. And so I thought about all those things that here I am. I'm like a prospective student athlete. And these are things I don't know. Maybe I could, I immediately thought about what are the things that I could teach my staff that, hey, maybe they take for granted that you could sell this place a lot better. Because here I was at a place, had other options, didn't need to go, needed to come here, but it was enticing. I mean, I saw the potential. I saw, I started dreaming big then. And so that's when I got in that press conference and that wasn't a marketing thing that I wanted to say, but that's just kind of how I felt. And I think there's an opportunity here. What I saw is where DePaul could go. And I'm talking about the whole university, not just our athletic department, what role this athletic department could play in the success of our university as a whole and the city of Chicago. And I mean, this ties in perfectly with what you guys just released around your strategic plan, uh, legacy from an NIL perspective, right? You can't watch that video and not think about all that DePaul has to offer. 
uh, from the different schools that are on campus that are going to be playing a role in that legacy right. program. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, clearly you're integrating the entire university into your plan for athletics and doing it probably more so than most schools are, are doing from a collaboration approach. But talk about how you guys are collaborating across campus. Great in theory, great you dreamt big, but talk about some of the things you're actually going to be starting to do now with some of the different approaches that you guys have. Well, I think, you know, during that pandemic period, which is probably about the first eight or nine months, the one thing I could do is have a lot of conversations on Zoom with staff, True. deans, uh, our joint council members, president's cabinet, and start on these relationships on campus. And they probably heard me a lot talking about being the front porch of the university. And, you know, there's a nice thing to say. They got it. They understood the metaphor. But what's the reality of that? And so some of the things that we have been able to start you know, in place with those relationships is a perfect example of what we're doing with Legacy. Uh, we immediately, you know, Taylor Stapleton, who's my senior associate AD for Revenue Generation and Strategic Initiatives, you know, we are brainstorming about how do we get in front of this? How can we make it better for our students? And immediately we went to our relationships. I mean, we've got the Driehaus College of Business here, well-renowned, uh, our College of Communications, being able to talk to both of those deans and being a part of it, the Entrepreneurial Center, that sounds like things that we should be educating our students on because maybe we were always trying to do it. I've seen it. We were doing it at Kentucky. We were seeing it at different schools. But now everybody's listening. Now everybody thinks it matters for them. Even the ones that I think I'm going pro anyway, I don't need this lesson. Right. They're listening now because it means something while they're here in school. And so the future of it is actual programming curriculum in our classrooms. Um, you know, but right now we can bring people in and educate them on the front end to get some catch up work, so to speak, because they're right there in the middle of it. And what a great, great platform. I mean, think about when the young, when our young people graduate and they leave us, we always worried about the mistakes they make in that professional world. Right. The choices we educate them on, you know, who they're signing with financial advisors and agents or uh, just, in, you know, in their real world, trying to manage those things themselves. Well, now. They get to make those mistakes here with us. So let's let's educate them earlier. Let's have the trial and error now where we're not maybe talking about thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Maybe we're talking about hundreds to start and learn those lessons, you know, because don't trust everybody, you know, vet things fully. How do you even interview people to see what might be best for you versus just taking the first one that comes in your yep. direct message? It's just a golden opportunity that I'm excited for because I think people are counting the young people in this generation out. Like they're the only thinking about the negative that's going to come from it. But what if they take this and embrace it in such a way that we look back and like, wow, this is a totally different world right now. And maybe we sold, sold them short because for them to get through this last 18 months unscathed to even, even want to go to college or even be around it or have anything to do with this. I mean, we have people setting school records that have lasted for 30 years in this environment. Which is crazy. Right. So if you challenge this generation, I'm betting on them. I think they're going to succeed through this, especially with our help. We're in higher education, right? right? We're supposed to be educators. So that's what I immediately dove into is like, how do we educate them to make better decisions versus just assuming that they're going to make all the wrong ones? When you when you guys were building, we're sticking sticking with NIL for two more mm -hmm. seconds. When you guys were building Legacy were the students, were there any students that were involved in helping to craft that and, and build that program? And if so, or if not, right. I mean, what has been their reaction to it post rollout as well? Has it been curiosity? Has it been a little bit of tepidness? Mm -hmm. um, what's been some of the conversations that you guys had with student athletes prior to building and post now that it's rolled out? So one of the things that we were doing just in our strategic plan, which yep. perfectly worked out, is that we talk to all our student athlete groups, you know, either small groups on teams or the whole team. And we were asking them to dream big with us and talk about things. And those were natural segments of what they wanted to talk about. Right. How does that go? We all made them uh, NCAA president for the day. Like, what was the things you want to do? We do that on our exit interviews, too. Like, what are the things that are the challenges? And so a lot of the things that we were trying to get their voice in it without even having to directly ask them about it at the time, we were able to as part of legacy. And when they saw it in the video, I mean, it's a hype video, yeah, so course, to speak. It has to be, um, right? But there's a lot of things that sometimes if you're here long enough, whether you're a student or you live here, you're Chicagoan, you kind of forget about. It makes you feel better about, oh man, we got all these assets here, some of the things we're not thinking about. 
Um, and, you know, our students right now, you're not seeing them jump out and everything. They're kind of assessing things. I mean, it's not about the first deal you do. It's about the best thing for you, your mm. brand, what you want to do. So there's time. It's not a race. Right. And I'm not saying it's anything bad if you've already got something, because some of these students have been working on this already. Like they were planning for July 1st. For sure. But I mean, there's an opportunity to this. And, you know, I think with us being on quarters, the students just go home. They're just starting to get back. Um, I think men's basketball is here right now. Women's basketball is getting ready to report. I mean, part of it is, is the process of getting ready for this fall. And, you know, I think not having football here. Uh, you know, where there's there's only so much time for the football players to kind of get something before you get in the middle of the season to establish some things that you hope you can benefit off later. But I think it's just um, I don't know if you knew, but we started this fall. We have a, um, a CDM class, which basically we're going to have two groups of five students. In what, a what is CDM? Stand so for? I'm going to explain the class a little bit. Okay, too. Okay. So it's you know, it's more um, we have. Two groups of five students will basically be filming, doing documentary work. So we have a crew and both of them will be doing documentaries on a sports team at DePaul. Too so cool. that was a byproduct of some things we started when we were working on strategic planning things earlier when we started in the fall, got to a culmination in January, talking to our university athletics board about which I have like seven faculty members on it, asking them how we can help you or what are the things we can do together, which got us in that mindset of what legacy could do because mm -hmm. We were talking to faculty, you know, how can we partner together? So we ended up making a class that is in place for this fall. But now the future, it, we knew that we could look to curriculum as a way to teach because we have, you know, things like, you know, the Chicago 101 where you learn all yep. the things about Chicago. Why not have some things from an entrepreneurial standpoint or, you know, some financial literacy classes that, Hey, if part of my curriculum, these are things I'd rather be taking that'll be focused to help me right away. And as a freshman, I want to take right out the gate. So that way, you know, it's just so much more intentional about what we're trying to do. Well, I think it's funny, too, because as adults now, all, both of us post our college career, we're constantly like, why the hell didn't they teach us that in college? Right? <laughs> right. And it feels like that's what you guys are putting a lot of intentionality mm -hmm. around to, to actually be able to teach kids and educate student athletes uh, on those things that we all look back and we're like, I wish we would have known that back in the day. Right. Um, well, let's talk about speaking of intentionality. You guys put a lot of intentionality behind your strategic plan. Right. Um, so there's really kind of five key components to that. And I, I've got them in front of me here. So we got academic excellence, building the DePaul brand, championship experience, developing and equipping future leaders, which NIL kind of falls under and external outreach. So talk to us a little bit, maybe from a high level <clears throat> uh, about those five pillars and the process of which you built the strategic plan. Uh, give us a little bit of a peek behind the scenes as to how you guys came to some of those those five elements. Well, if you get lost, they're right there too. So can... Oh, I'm, I'm looking at them right <laughs> over your shoulder. Okay, there we go. Well, I think, you know, we call them the ABCs of DePaul. One, yeah. I wanted our staff, our students, our coaches to be able to, it's not that hard to remember and focus on them. Um, you know, if we want to create this championship culture here, and these are five guiding principles. And But, you know, how many times in your career have you wondered, like you've seen this vision, you've seen this plan, you know, what, what does it mean for me? What do I do? And so I wanted to create those things, you know, that five-step approach where you could easily see where you might fit based on your role. Mm -hmm. Now, there might be things where you're in the multiple principles where, you know, our folks in AAA, well, okay, academic excellence, I know that's, that's the thing that I need to be focusing on. And, and our goals in that is to have a 3.5 GPA um, overall with all our student athletes, which we've done in every, every quarter in, in this first year. Uh, for the first time, we've done that from an overall standpoint for the year. Um, but then also 3.0 for every, every team. So everybody knows that from an academic standpoint, I have a focus. But where do we go from there? Because maintaining, as you know, it's hard because you got to strive to be better to be able to keep yeah. that successful uh, uh, trend going. Because in the Big East, I would say we're probably the most decorated academic school of, of our 11 members. All right. So that's something that I'm proud of. And I'm not trying to be second. Right. right? right. right. So 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 the B is building the Paul brand, as you said. So what does this logo mean to people? You know, how does this become a destination spot for coaches? Yeah. This is not a stepping stone job for athletic directors. This is needs. You know, that's a trendsetter into it. I want to where people come here. This is a place where I know I can build and grow, but I can finish my career, too. Yeah. Right. So that's a change. Right. We don't want to be 
the along the way, well, I'll get the startup to Paul job. And then, you know, I, you know, I just hired uh, Michelle O'Brien in women's soccer in her first job and Tony Stubblefield in men's basketball in their first job. It can't be they have success and their goal in life is to go somewhere else to enjoy it and get to the point the championship level. I want to do that here. But it also means what does that brand stand for? You know, when people see it, um, you know, when, you know, what are we doing? You know, we're working on um, focusing more on merchandise and licensing because there's not enough for our the people that are associated. that want to brand themselves. They want to be associated with us to be able to wear our gear, our logo. You see. In this building, if you've never been in here before, you see a lot more of our brand around. If you walk in here even, lost, you even, know where you are. Even this room's changed a right. lot since the Definitely. last time I was in here, right? And so I think those are the things. Championship experience is it's really about that about winning. How do we mm -hmm. quantify that? Uh, I want to be a top 100 program in the NACTA standards, which is to basically the Director's Cup. Now, we only have 15 sports, and it counts 20. So we're I'm not going to say we're going to be top 10, right? Right. But be a top 100 program, which is going to put us in the upper echelon of the Big East right away. But that's our first goal, because I hope to brush, just blow by that. And, that, and, and what establishing that is, is taking our success level from maybe the ceiling is everybody's trying to get to the NCAA postseason, and that's their goal. Mm -hmm. I want that to be the floor, where everybody doesn't want to be the sport that doesn't make postseason. Yep. yep. Right? That's when we start celebrating with championships. and a lot of, I like buying rings. I, you know, I like celebrating. <laughs> we'll spend on that expense. Right. And so, you know, we had our first, you know, men's tennis uh, Big East championship this year. We went to the NCAA tournament. I want that instead of that, you know, that's exciting. And I, that will always be. Yeah. But I want that to be the norm around here where there's an outlier. I do feel that from an academic sense. If I put all 10 head coaches in there sure. and you're the one that doesn't have a 3-0 or you're not doing as well, like you feel a little awkward. Yeah. Let's get to that point. Let's reverse that from the tournament. We had one team make the tournament this year at NCAAs. Let's mm -hmm. make it where we reversed it, where all the coaches are like, what's going on with you? You know, that's when that's when we've had a level of success. And, and does a lot of that start with hiring the right people in the right roles? I mean, if you're if you're turning that around, obviously, it's not going to be an overnight. Right. It's not going to be a, a, a summer and all of a sudden our teams are making – We've got nine out of ten going from one out of ten making the tournament. But, I mean, what what are some of the first steps you take? Well, I, I do. I actually think we have an unbelievable group of coaches. I so I think I stand, have, I stand corrected. I think we have the the ten head coaches we need. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now is how, what's my role? How do I play on getting them to think a little bigger than what maybe their goals? So that's part of that dream big philosophy. I made each of them tell me that. Normally, you don't ask coaches like, "What do you want?" If you can have anything, right? And then as I looked at them, I had to give some of them back. Because they weren't dreaming big enough. Mm. And so sometimes, you know, you don't want to ask for much. I just want to get a little better. No, I want every one of our head coaches to be thinking about what does it take for me to win a national championship? Because the pathway there is a whole lot of fun. And if you fall short, it's still success. But if your goal is just making a tournament, when you fall short, you have a season that nobody remembers. Can you can you walk me through some of like that actual conversation yeah. around? Okay, coach comes to you and says, "Yeah, here's where here's where I want to be. Here's my dream big." How did you deliver the message to that coach of it's not big enough? What was that conversation actually like? Like, how did you? I'll give you one. With give me an even, example. I'll give you one. I'm trying to say, should I say who it is? Or Don't say who it is. Don't say who it is. <laughs> All right, well, I'll give you one um, where obviously um, they talk about facility upgrades and gear allotments. Sure. And these are, it's basically all needs. Mm -hmm. Well, I want, I want to hear your wants and your goals, your aspirations, like where you want to go, because I know it can't be based on just these things that are seem very tangible. Those, I can't, it can't be a list. And basically I, I, I gave her back a list. I said, these things are all just fixed with some fundraiser, some budget money. Mm. There's got to be things that are more than that. You know, think, I said, think about it. I had to put a number on it. For them to think bigger because we haven't had a bunch of increases in our budget enough for them to even yeah. think about, you know, this that seemed a lot for them because they've never been able to be asked that in a short period because we didn't have the monies. Yeah. So I had to put it in a framework of where you've got, okay, you've got, all right, I'm giving you $5 million to spend. Yep. Just to get them to think about things that were much bigger than the, what was on the page. But there were certain things where I'll, I'll use Coach Bruno as an example. He's a big thinker, always thinking ahead all, all the time. And he heard what I was saying to everybody else. And so, I mean, I got like a Bible now. <laughs> like, I, I'll be going through this thing forever. But that's, that's what I wanted, though, yeah. because I want to think ahead of them. Like some of the things that we're trying to do, improvements in the, you know, our facilities. I want to 
you know, I'm so used to my role when I was at Kentucky and Coach Calipari trying to stay a step ahead. I don't need to be driven. I, don't, I want to be able to provide things without you asking me for it. So if I knew what your dreams were, it got me in some kind of mindset. But I also have some things that I've seen that I know can help you get there, too. You shouldn't always have to ask me. You shouldn't have to ask me for a raise. You shouldn't have to ask me for a promotion. You shouldn't have to ask me for, hey, this is a need we have. We're supposed to be connected enough to where I understand what you need, your mm -hmm. wants. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing a great job, whether you're staff or your coaches, that you're going to get rewarded. That's that's the process and the culture you're trying to put in place here. So we're trying to kick that pandemic door down, right? Like it's over. This is year one for us. Year zero is gone. It's in yep. the past. Honeymoon's over. And I think those are the things that's just really changing the mindset. And I think we've got, like I said, we've got two new coaches, right, that have never been in a head coach position. But we've got veteran coaches that have been here in other places, and they all can get in a room together. And, you know, and they've come together on a couple of group outings that they want to do to mm. teach each other and can learn from each other. We have a great culture in that. And that's something that sometimes usually – when the job's open, you don't walk into that kind of situation. Yeah. You know, I think that's the benefit of having, you know, following a legend like Jeannie Ponsetta, you know, that she retired. You know, normally, you know, like, you know, things are in disarray and there's yeah. been some changes that happened. But we got a very motivated group. They understand the framework of the new era of student athletic, student athletics, you know, with NIL, but also what it means from you know, what I call basic human dignity, how you treat your staff, how you treat your students, how you treat each other with the balance of getting people to be the best version of themselves, how you work, train and get there. So, I mean, that's the that's a good thing. And, and I know I didn't get a chance to check on. Yeah, we still let's hit let's hit developing okay. and equipping future leaders and then next right. outreach. So, still. so like so developing and equipping future leaders. Yeah. That's that's, that's not just student athletes. Right? No, that's, that's right. Entire that's, that's intentional development yeah. with our students. Yes. And you're seeing that a lot. Student athlete experience. It was before NIL, everybody was expanding in that area. It makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But also in our staff and our coaches. How do we make our assistant coaches be the best in the country where they're all capable of being a head coach somewhere? And they decide to stay at DePaul versus where this is the only place they can be. You know, how do we help our staff? And I want to make them all want to be an AD. And some of them choose, I don't want to do that. I see what Dwayne does every day, and I don't want to do that. But yeah. have the, you know, the experience to grow and want to lead their own department at least. Or, hey, without having to leave here to do it, but have the option. What are, what are some of the tactics you're using to, or strategies you're using to do that? I know you just set out the plan, right. but I know you guys have thought a little bit about some of those strategies behind how we're going to grow those leaders. Right. So, I mean, right now, from a budget standpoint, I can't jump into having uh, a full new student athlete experience division or leadership division. So what we're doing, what I found out when I'm asking all these individuals and in questionnaires uh, or in their dream, I've asked every staff, what does dream big mean to you? You find out what other people mm. want. It's like it's like with the students with NIL, what we'll find out is what other interests they have. Yep. But we've done the same thing with the staff. So I've got a. I've got two people in my compliance department that really love the intentional leadership development. Right. So, um, so Maggie Struce, so she's in, um, she's a our number two compliance person and she's really loves being involved in the student development. It's not part of her job description, yeah. just been doing it. So I was like, okay, that's something I can grow with. You know, Kim Smith, who's our associate AD for compliance. She really loves, you know, she had former role where part of her role was SWA she really loves the intentional development with staff and coaches. So I've rebranded our compliance to compliance and leadership. And, and, you know, and so now we're hiring a new position in compliance and that's going to fit into that too. And so with that coupled with some other staff we have, we're going to supplement those things with some third party development. But now I've got some people that in their job description is working with students, some working with staff and some working with head coaches just to be intentional about it. And, that's, and my hope is that ends up branching out into his own division because mm -hmm. you know it's intentional enough. But we've got to do what we can to start at a starting spot. But we know it's really good and everybody's on board with it. Um, so I'm randomly, I'm thinking about it back at UK. You yeah. guys kind of had that as well with, right. with Jason Cummins there. And we'll get into some of the differences here right. in a second. Um, but last thing, if you want to touch on external outreach real yes. quick. Well, I mean, it's just like what I'm doing today. So. Yep. I'm pretty sure there's a lot more people on this planet that know about DePaul. That's my hope than before, because I want to be out there. I want our staff to be out there. Um, I think on our external side, 
you know, we haven't had fans at games really here in Chicago. And so as we go through this next year, whether it's our communications department, our marketing, you know, our ticket office, um, you know, merchandise and licensing, specifically what we're doing. How do we get out there and people know what what DePaul is all about? How do we how do we sing the praises of our university? If they're not going to brag on themselves, we'll do it for you. You know, and I want to be out there as a voice. I want people to dream big and understand what that means and and resonate. You know, I've even seen myself around town. I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> know. If, billboards, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's people, you know, trying to butter up or is that, you know, just a new message we're trying to do. But that's what we've got to do. And the fundraising part of that is being intentional. I'm trying to put together a DePaul dream team, which is a hundred thousand dollar a year donor. Um, you know, I want to have a handful of those by the end, by the end of this school year. And then that, I want to have two that's handfuls. That's going to help fund year. everything else. Right. So. I mean, we've got to grow. We've got to grow our, our, our base because we have a lot of alums. Yep. We have a, a lot of affinity for this school that, hey, I've got, we've got people that got season tickets for us that never set foot in Chicago, but just because DePaul's a team they always watch. But we're, it's time for us to get back to being Chicago's team. I love but, it. I mean, we, we have a chance to ignite this city if we can get this, uh, this turn back around. All right. So we talked a lot about DePaul and everything great that you guys have going on coming up in the future. I want to get a little bit more into your head around leadership and culture and what you've established at your previous stops at Kentucky. Uh, and now what you've brought from a learning perspective here to DePaul. Okay. Um, so we'll start with the first question, really. At University of Kentucky, you were the deputy AD working really close with Mitch and the rest of the senior leadership team. But now you're in the head honcho chair. And there is a definitely a, a difference between that sure. deputy AD role to now the full vice president athletic director. Talk to us about some of the differences and the biggest things that maybe you weren't expecting when you made that step up. Well, first of all, I mean, my time at Kentucky, I think because of Mitch's leadership style, I didn't know this at the time, but I was experiencing a lot of different decision-making, uh, being involved in some of the things that were very valuable once I got here. It's kind of like how your parents tell you all these different things and you'll understand it when you become an adult. Basically, when I became in this chair, the decision-making part has been a lot easier transition because I was already, you know, Mitch was entrusting me to make some high-level decisions without, you know, like, hey, here's what, he would put it out there in front of you. You know, and let you make it versus, OK, we're doing it together all the time. And so I would say that's been OK. The biggest transition for me has been. I it's a lot easier having the hard decision discussion when you're not the full decision maker, <laughs> because you get a little bit of benefit of the doubt, even if it's my decision. Yeah. People assume it's Mitch or department or some other higher power. Right. Um, so now. I've got to get out of trying to make people feel better about it. That's my instincts. Um, it's not about everybody liking everything I want to do. It's more respecting it, uh, trying to over communicate on the front end, put myself in my in those in their shoes and understand, OK, if I were them, what would I want my leader to do? Just getting more practice in that. You know, so there'll be things that doesn't bother me. Like, I don't care about titles. I don't. I mean, those that they've never mattered to me, but they matter to a lot of other people. Right. So it's like things like that, that I have to understand that everybody's not me. So going, I mean, this is something I, I go back and forth on all the time as well as a leader of like going from that being liked to being respected. Mm -hmm. What's some of that self-talk that you have to do if your natural inclination as a leader is you want to be nice, you want people to feel good when they interact with you, and you want them walking away with a smile on their face. Right. As, as the head honcho, as, as the, the AD, sometimes that can't happen. And that's the case with any leader in any organization, no matter if you're a big leader or a, a little leader, if you will, a middle manager, let's call it. Um, what's some of the self-talk that you use in your head to say, this person doesn't have to walk away with a smile and I can still know that I'm being a good leader. I think I learned right away. Less is more. Um, what do you I'm, mean? I'm comfortable talking. I'm comfortable conversating, getting into a conversation. I'm used to making someone feel better about something that's not necessarily great for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say if I have a skill set, that's something I do naturally. But in certain settings, that's not what's needed. I need to deliver a message. Here's what it is. Not being reflective where I can't say anything, but some people don't want to talk about it. 
Do they want to ask questions about is, is there any reason to this? I don't have to be the cold hearted person. I can discuss it, but I'm not necessarily winning people over by trying to make them feel better about a decision I've already made that they might not agree with. And I think when I did some executive coaching um, when I was at Kentucky, and that was what really led me to going into the grad school, get my MBA again. Mm-hmm. It really was what is leader, being a leader, um, you know, be the deputy AD at the time versus trying to ask Mitch, can I do this? Can I do that? Will you let me have this responsibility? Just go do it. And that's what I need now. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to teach my staff, just go do it. Don't ask. You don't have to ask me. You know me enough. I put you in this role. I'm not saying, hey, if you're the softball assistant, go coach the men's basketball game. Right, right. right? right. But if I'm putting you in a senior leadership role and you're leading your department, I want to know how you want to run it, what you want to develop. Like, obviously, there's approvals in place, but I'm not the type of person. I'm definitely not the leader that wants to sign up on every expenditure. Um, you don't have to check with me on everything you've got. We've got a structure. We've got supervisors, but I do want that direct connect from you. I want you to talk to me directly. We can have a relationship. I have an open door policy. You've probably only seen it open just finally now because <laughs> I, I had to wear my mask if it was open before. And now I finally can't. So, I mean, those are the things that have just been in such a transition that honestly, I'm just getting into that for the last two or three months because the first mm. eight months in this, we're just closed door like you're working from home almost, Zoom yeah. oriented. And so it's giving you a chance where, hey, I'm not going to get the benefit of a honeymoon anymore. But there's a lot of newness, especially coming up this fall, that I still haven't experienced in this job. But now it's kind of like from a student athlete perspective, you say rely on your training. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, I've trained for this. I've worked for this. I've even been back to school for this. That's right. Know? That's right. And so... There's a reason I'm in this seat. Rely on your training. Your instincts are good. Don't second guess yourself in the middle of a conversation because it reflects negatively to you. And so that's where I kind of say, well, less is more. You know, you come to this decision. You have some things you want to say. Don't start babbling and adding stuff to it because you just get yourself in a bad situation. You look less confident. You look movable. And you can get pushed off of and you like things thing, you know, you gave them a promotion instead of moving <laughs> some other department. I mean, but that, that's, that's the hard parts of it. I mean, that's really good, really, really good feedback and advice for anybody that's a leader listening to this. Um, well, let's talk more about okay. learning. Um, talk to us about maybe an apparent failure mm-hmm. uh, in your past life that you feel like really prepared you and for this role that you're in right now. Um, maybe, okay. maybe it's a, a failure that turned into a success or a failure that you've looked at and you're like, I'm really glad that that happened. It sucked at the time, but I'm glad that it happened because I learned from, I learned X, Y, Z from it. I'll give you two, um, okay. that I think has really defined my career path. One was more from a, just a physical nature. Something happens where it's almost like fate intervened and I want to be a, Major League Baseball player. I didn't want to do this. I mean, this is what I wanted to be. I wanted to be Mark McGuire. That's who I wanted to be, right? I want to be a right-handed, power-hitting first baseman that was really good defensively that people didn't give credit to. That's what I wanted to be, right? So this was not the trick I was going on. Okay. But I had a battle with my asthma, which I didn't know I had in college. Basically, I had exercise-induced asthma, and I was in an environment at the University of Montevallo in central Alabama where – all of a sudden, I was having all these breathing issues. I mean, I've been playing baseball my whole life. I mean, in Alabama. So it's, you know, like yeah. exercise and being outside every day wasn't an issue. Um, but I couldn't do it. I was run and I was going to be stubborn enough that, hey, I'm just fighting through it. Maybe I get in better shape until uh, I pass out because it would basically close up. And then, wow. and then I didn't figure it out. And I ended up having to stop playing. Um, and that was really devastating me because I loved baseball like no other. That was what I wanted to do my whole life. And once I actually found out what it was, I kind of had already walked away. Hmm. And that got me started in the sports information just to stay close to baseball. So I became the baseball sports information director at Montevallo for my team while I was working on my accounting degree. And then at the end of my years in school, I decided, well, can I try this other thing and then fall back on my degree? And, and I've been in I've been in college athletics ever since. But that was one of the things where, hey, I really had to follow. I don't know how I would have. There's no way I would have been on this track. I mean, I'd be a CPA somewhere, hopefully. Yeah, for you know? sure, for sure. And, <clears throat> but 
that was really, and that hurt me. I mean, I remember actually coming to tears in the dugout when I came to the spot where I knew I had to tell my coach I couldn't do it because after my freshman year, which I ended up redshirting because of the issues, I spent the whole offseason at home trying to be in the best shape of my life. So when I got back to college, I wouldn't have these issues. And keep in mind, I had none at home. I don't know if it was the environment or what it was, but once I went back to college and it was the same thing, I knew I just couldn't go mm. through it. And so mm. that was, that you know, like it changed my life. But it also, one, let me know, you know, if I had to put everything on athletics and nothing else, uh, where I'd be. Um, you know, I actually had a full academic scholarship at the time. And so that was fortunate that I did my that work helps, leading so up to this point because it could have been uh, while I go to school, right? right? right. Uh, especially in baseball where you're not getting a bunch of full scholarships. And so – that was that was the one that probably led me down a trick. And what was so, what was the other one? You so had, the one in career one. wise, I was at the University of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I was sports information director at the time, and I had some policies in place for preferred media access. We'd have like a internal media day, not something that everybody gets to come to, but basically our preferred media list, the ones that really travel with us at our every game, and so we might have our three TV networks, radio you know, Associated Press, some of our newspapers, and I always had the school newspaper as part of it, Kentucky Colonel as well. Okay. And we had these guidelines in place, you know, like we had rules, you know, where you couldn't talk to a student athlete without going through our office mm-hmm. to everything where there was an embargo when we had these internal media days when we could use it, just allow you to get ahead of it, preceding stories, but it gave you access around our program. And I was the media contact for men's basketball at the time. So it was centered around what we were doing for men's basketball. And I had an incident where a young man who was a student um, interviewed two of my student athletes, men's basketball student athletes. Okay. And we found out about it just like I would with anybody else. And keep in mind, the role with including the school newspaper was to treat them like everybody else as a positive, right? Because they wanted to be. They wanted to learn. They wanted to be in it, yeah. And and I was full on board with that. Then you have this negative side happens, and you're hearing from these other networks, you know, from TV to, like, what are you going to do? Because they broke the story and talked to these students, and now my story's worthless. Right. Right? I mean, so just understand the element of it. And my thing was, okay, yeah, you know, I interviewed the student. And they actually admitted to it. I knew the rules. It wasn't. Oh, wow. I knew the rules. It was worth it. Um, And, you know, it wasn't intentional, but I knew it was worth me getting a byline and getting attention. And it was a strategic play. And so after hearing that, my reaction was, it's a no brainer. Now, I was hoping it was like, I didn't know. I was going to be lenient to the student. I decided, okay, you are not. Because they did it right before our internal media day, they were not invited, mm. which was the first time in a long time. So they was kept out of it. And they were kind of on probation. Right? It wasn't enough. It's what you would have probably done to any other media right. outlet. You don't get the access of being preferred media if you can't sure. play by our rules. Sure, sure. Right? Oh, man. That turned into a big thing. To a point where uh, there were some arguments about both sides. Now, keep in mind what I just shared with you about the reaction from the student. I never shared with anybody else during it. I was trying to protect the student yeah. and I failed in every way because I got ridiculed by media, you know, being the bad person on student media. I mean, you probably Google it. You can find stories about it. I mean, I think the I think the young man actually got a job mainly because he stood up to the big wow. bad. It's totally movie. worth it for that kid. Right. He stands by. But keep it. in mind, I protected him sure, the whole time because sure. it was a student. Like so, I didn't want to make it where like it's his fault and and use that as a made a way to make me make me feel better. But that was part of my decision making. But I took the brunt of it. But what I learned in that, they're students. And I'm, I'm supposed to be an educator and teach and learn. I was thinking about everybody else. And what it was going to do to me and have to manage those other relationships. And I was thinking about the student. Hmm. And so what I learned in that setting, and I think it hit home the most when I ran into another student the next year about something that was covering something. And then I asked him a question, like, who are you with? And, and they were like frightened of me. And like, you know, I know you don't like students. <laughs> and I was like, what, how did it get to this situation? Like I, you know, I was trying to act like nobody knows that I'm actually protecting him, but I think it made me think, you know, in those kind of situations, 
you've got to be in teaching mode. No matter how much you want to pull them into the real world from a teaching standpoint, you know, like, hey, here's how it is. If you're going to be that way, they're still not them. For sure. And I should have stood up to the adults. Hey, this is a student. We're going to let this go. Let it be a teaching moment and allow them to take the next step. And I think it taught me. That's why you hear students first. That's why it's part of our core values, because it's a reminder to me to always think students first. That's a, it's a great lesson and appropriate for anybody that's working in college athletics. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of that situation in particular, right? <laughs> let's talk a little bit about now as a senior leader within college athletics, as the athletic director, you've obviously had a lot of different changes here and you decided to keep that, that story with the, the student, what he said, you decided to keep that close to the vest. Obviously, with all the changes that you guys have going on here at DePaul, all the enhancements, all the things that you guys are getting better at, all the big plans, dream big. How do you decide what to keep close to the vest and what to be transparent about? Because I know when we yeah. work with, closely with college athletic departments, it's sometimes frontline staff get frustrated because they're like, ah, how come the first time I heard that was on in a tweet on national media? Right. I think that's something that happens all the time in sports. So as a leader, how do you decide what to keep close to the vest? and what to be transparent about. Well, the one thing I've learned pretty quickly is I thought it would be easy to get better at the communication piece. I think it's a constant battle because no matter what you do, you know, like I'm not quiet. I probably over communicate on certain things. There's always going to be people that feel like they don't know enough. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be people maybe as entry level that I am not in the senior staff meeting. The perception is probably a lot bigger than the actual loss of information because it just seems like it. So I might have a senior staff retreat for two days and you think 15 people know everything. Hey, we help vet this whole strategic plan in every way. And I feel really good because I mean, I've got this group, we're unified, but they might've walked by and saw me talking to three people in my office suite and like, what am I missing out on? It's always going to be a constant thing there. So I think one thing I've learned is just trust my gut. Hmm. Um, I'm a trusting person, but I do think you have to gain some trust and earn some trust. And um, I've learned as I've got older to not be so naive. Not Don't assume everybody's got your best interests, but give everybody an opportunity. Hmm. And if I think about this, when I came into this place, I've seen a lot of it nationally. Um, I thought about it on the front end myself. People tried to guide me what to do. You've got to make wholesale changes on your staff when you come in because your staff is not going to be who you want them to be. You want, you know, they're not going to be the people you want on your bus. Mm-hmm. That's just not who I am as a leader. And I felt like if I'm a true leader, then I want to give everybody that opportunity because I would want that opportunity. And give me a chance to stub my toe, excel, buy in. It's not going to happen overnight. Give me an opportunity because I might have these all the same aspirations as you do, Dwayne, but I've never got a chance to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, the quick fix is to bring four or five people in. I could have brought a bunch of people to Kentucky with me. Sure. But if you think about where we, what would be the sweetest thing for DePaul's success is to be able to actually accomplish our dreams and aspirations, win championships, win at the highest level in every platform, academics, community service, on the court and field with a bunch of people that have not had all their success the whole way to. Because that's when you really feel it. That's when it's tears. That's when you feel the moment. That's the better way. Now, as a leader, I've got to always make the hard decision at some point. You know, maybe there's one person or two people that can affect the whole. They got to make the best decision for us as a department. But doing that 10 months in or, you know, within a year's time is totally different than 10 days. I'm making these changes. I'm bringing in all these people. And and sometimes, honestly, in our industry, we almost take that as not big, big a deal. We expect it. And so it gives you the kind of excuse to do it because that's what people expect. And you can, you know, I, you know, I didn't know anybody yet. I mean, there was nobody in part of my hiring process that was on my staff except for one person and student affairs. Um, I didn't, I could have, you know, that would have been easy. Like, Hey, um, I'm going to bring in my own person in ABCD. Sure, sure, sure. Right. But as I look back, it's probably one of the best decisions I made. 
Um, obviously, I live and die with them now. They're, they're my staff, which makes any decisions going forward harder, whether I'm elevating and figure out, do I want to have this group or how to structure with now all those things in it. But I think that's healthy. I think that's good. I think once you stop thinking about people as people, and when you start thinking about that staff and they're no longer people, they're just chess pieces or you start making a bunch of mistakes. And so I think giving people an opportunity, especially we were in a pandemic. What are people going to do? Right, right, right. right? It's mean, not like they really had a chance to right. prove themselves. But to be yeah. given that, you know, those opportunities and advice, that's probably one of the things I'm glad. It didn't make things easier, but the job's not easy. That's why there's only so many of us. And I think that's one of the things is that um, talking about those things. So, like, when we to segue back to your original question, having conversations about personnel, that's a hard piece mm. right now because that's a big defining thing of, what do you keep to the vest in your own opinion? Do you, you know, on one end, you want to go in one meeting and tell everybody, here's what your plan is. Yeah. Right. But then you think like, wow, I don't want to be surprised like that. But then if I tell like a small group of people, you know, yeah, does it feel does it worse? Get, right. The people like that. So you learn through some of these things that some of the things being in the chair is the only way you're going to experience it because your situation might be different. But those are probably things where I'm probably more apt. If anything, I plan on probably over time, I see the structure of my department will change. I will probably have a smaller group of leadership group that I know core. I could talk to about everything because I need that. And and I think if you establish that from a formal perspective, right? when people see you talking in the room with them, they get it. That's that's the part executive. Of it. And there's a trickle down from staff, that, whatever. right? I mean, that's that they don't feel left out. Yeah, or instead of it being informal or inorganic, it's, yeah. it's that's the structure of it. Because I need that as a leader. I'm not a dictator. I, I don't need everybody to come up with a group decision either. But I like vetting things. Before I go public, I, if I can't talk to my staff about it, like that's a problem. Right. 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 I'm not, so I'm not a king of surprise to some degree. But, I mean, there's going to be some things that I got to make solely on my own. That's, that's part of it, too. But that's the thing that, you know, I would say, um, if anything, that's probably been one of the bigger challenges for me is figuring out. The communication piece, because I'm all about communication, but that's a delicate balance. Because sometimes people don't want to know, well, <laughs> know but, everything. But this is great insight, I think, for anybody listening that's aspiring to be in the right. chair of what goes on in the what truly goes on in between your head or in between your ears, I guess, in your head of these are the decisions I've got to make. This is what I struggle with. So, yeah, um, one or two more questions before we wrap up here. I know we're running short on time. Obviously, moving from the size of a department at Kentucky to the size of your staff here at DePaul, uh, big difference in terms of the amount of physical resources that you right. have in terms of people to be able to go out and execute on these big dreams that you have here at DePaul. How, as a leader, do you decide and how do you talk to your leaders uh, that direct, directly report to you about what to delegate versus what to do yourself? Yeah. Um, how do you how do you approach deciding? Are there are there frameworks or mental heuristics or shortcuts that you have in your head to decide I should do this or I should delegate this. Do you have any, any right. anything I, advice I you for, might be able to give us? Yeah. That, I mean, honestly, we've, we've, I've been, I'm a little direct with certain things about kind of who I am. You know, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I would say short period into it, there shouldn't be many questions from who on my staff, especially from our leadership team or administration of, they could probably guess how I'm going to react or what my answer would be. Um, and I want that, to understand who I am and, and be, you know, with that, that'll help with me not have to micromanage them, you know? And, but I think one of the things I've asked all my staff members, I've said, you know, I need you, I need more out of you. I need you to work more. And I know most of you are overworked and underpaid and I've got to work more too, because we don't have those resources because we want to create those. But for us to take that step, we might need a short term where we've all got to put in a little more, um, you know, to get that cup to overflow to where it can affect everybody else. And I think getting that buy in and commitment. So, you know, we went on our senior staff retreat. We asked everybody, what can you commit to DePaul? And it was very interesting, you know, how quickly uh, people could get there. Sometimes from my lens, I don't know if it resonates with everybody, the messages I'm delivering. But when I heard what they wanted to commit to this place and they want to put that down on paper and then we all share and hold each other accountable for, then I know the message was delivered because we're, we don't have that. So I need more doers right now. There's not a lot of delegation. 
right now because everybody below mm. you mm. has got a lot of stuff to do too. Until we can get to a point where we can branch out, we need the physical space to do it and to give us so allowed to add more staff. Because right now, anything we would add is going to be adding a different area we can go into. It's not to branch out and be more leadership or delegators. And I've had to have some individual conversations with some of the staff members about that just doesn't work in in this environment right. in the culture of this department where you might have been, you know, it's, it's that whole adage of being on the right seats on the bus. We don't have any delegation spots right now. And any any spots where people can just yeah. give thought leadership. The athletic director won't be the athletic director yeah. won't be that. Yeah. You know, it, any of our senior administrators won't be that. I mean, we just can't afford that right now. It, it is interesting. I think college athletics is in a spot where there's so much change happening. And that if, if as a leader, I think you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and do a lot more than what you might have had to right. in the past because there's so much change. So I think it's an important point for everybody to remember. Appreciate yeah, it. All right. Last question. Bring us home. Okay. I, I know we're way over time, uh, but if you could have a billboard or let, let's call it maybe it's a tweet, one tweet that you get uh, to other senior leaders that are maybe at that senior associate level, that deputy level. Maybe it's just the associate athletic director level that are aspiring to get to that leadership chair. What would the advice be that you would give them? I think it's pretty simple and easy. I think it really is dream big. And that not by just DePaul, but don't settle on what you see in front of you. It's all you can do. Hmm. You know, I, I dreamt 21 years ago in Roy Kramer's office at the SEC office when he asked me, what do you want to be in five to 10 years? I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but to tell him that I want to be a major college commissioner or athletic director one day coming out of a small Division II school in the University of Montevallo and just being the assistant media director of the SEC, that was about as big as I ever thought I could ever go. Didn't even know that job existed. I didn't even know an athletic director at that point. And, but the fact that I said it in front of my leader, he saw me in that way because all of a sudden, he took me under his wing. I was flying to every basketball trip, football games with him, coffee in the morning with him uniquely. You know, Saturday morning at the house with breakfast with him and Sarah Joe. Bart Starr might stop by, right? Because he knew I was interested in bigger things than what I was doing. And I was in a unique spot. Don't even know how fate intervened to put me in that spot. But that led to a lot of other things where maybe I wasn't even thinking about it, but other people were seeing me in a bigger light. Mitch Barnhart pulled me out of an SID role to be the administrator for basketball and overseeing development without me asking for the job because he knew that I was willing to dream bigger than my surroundings. And so that would be my biggest advice. If I could say there's a billboard for Dwayne, it might be what we're talking about here, but really think bigger than what you're doing right now, because it's possible. And it, and it seems like it's not just about dreaming big. It's about vocalizing that dream yeah. as well, like what you just said. So uh, I think that's a perfect way to end us because you guys are certainly dreaming big here at DePaul. And I'm going to go let you get back to doing <laughs> some of those things and knocking out some of those dreams. Thank you. Um, but, Dwayne, it's been awesome having you. I appreciate it, Thank you. All right. We'll talk soon. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic, and with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk. And it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked-In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season. But how do you train the workers that start mid-season? Or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events? Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally, and you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked In has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country, and they're now opening up beta access on a limited basis. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to checkedin.app. That's C-H-E-C-K-D-I-N dot app. 
We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.